Prison call in ancient night use all. You the cold maze say one prison call in ancient night use all. All right. This is hot air and this is Mike Borman. With me on the show this week is Greg Wilson, a man who was active on the scene since before I was even born and an absolute wealth of knowledge about music and culture. This man was there in the late 70s and the early 80s. He was there before house music was even a term. He was a part of the Manchester scene before anyone had even dreamt up the Hacienda. But rather than to get him to go on about the good old days, I wanted his take on the now. What, what has he learned from the past that can help us make sense of where our scene is today? There was a lot of unrest at the moment. There were clubs closing down. There is a strange political atmosphere. What does he know from the past that can help us rationalize this? And where does he see his own creativity going against this backdrop? And the other story I wanted to tell here is that Greg is about so much more than just being the disco re-edits guy who blogs about Electro. As you'll hear, when it comes to the world around us and the social and creative impact of club culture, he is absolutely on it. I'm seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of negativity on social media at the moment. A lot of people that we would know, that we would interact with, your average DJ, your average club promoter, your average clubber, seems to be under threat. You know, they don't like the fact Trump's in the White House, they don't like the fact fabric closed down etc etc with your knowledge of history you know do you think that a time like this could actually be quite fertile creatively if you tend to look back at uh, the world the way it was say in in the 60s it, it was very confusing for young people then the idea that at any moment this bomb might go off that might destroy everybody and people genuinely worried about that um that was there in, in their lives and um, out of that came you know real expression and um, and a youth movement and things like civil rights and and, and all sorts of equalities that uh, weren't being spoken about before I mean some of them failed and some of them succeeded in, in certain respects uh, but the world was shaken up and there were definite changes at the time and I think we're very much um, very much at that kind of point again, point of chaos, really. Mm, yeah, and I mean, in, in terms of your in terms of your own work, do you find yourself reacting to the chaos around you? Well, I think you know that this you know you see a lot of people railing against it and angry and shouting against all the things that are going on. But there's only so much shouting you can do. I think it's more about creating doing your own thing trying to find maybe trying to find something beautiful to do you know again you know you look at the 60s and against the backdrop of the horrors of the atom bomb uh, love became a, a theme that young people talked about and and um, men who previously you know the the, the their fathers had been fighting in world wars were all of a sudden growing the hair long and, and sticking flowers in and stuff and, and feminizing in many respects so you know there was a reaction uh, against you know like what was actually going on in the world at the time and um, and I don't think we've actually got to the reaction fully yet I mean it's just that reaction as I said of, of people being angry uh, and shouting but 
you know, there's only so much shouting can be done, I think. Uh, and, and, you know, politics as well. I mean, I kind of, like a lot of people, you, you got gripped by it all last year. And I almost feel, you know, it lets you down. It always has let you down. Mm. I've, I've never been somebody who's got too closely involved in in politics for that very reason, because you've seen people come in. You know, it's like the, the whole Blur situation after all those years of, of Thatcher that everybody was so happy about that and how much that was going to change things. And, and now we look back on it and it's at the root of probably what's happening <laughs> now, you know. So it's sometimes you've got to be careful what you wish for. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, there's myth everywhere so we can rationalise it all we like. So probably when there's talk of it being a brave new dawn, that's probably as false as people saying now, oh, we're all knackered because you know, fabrics closing down or whatever, etc. I mean, in terms of Clubland specifically, yeah. um, how, where do you feel it is now in, in the UK? Because venues are closing down, that is true. Um, but are you, seeing, are you still seeing innovation? Can you still see a sustainable future? Well, yeah, because people will always want to dance you know that you can't take that away it's a basic human thing and you know i'm old enough in the tooth now to see many many clubs come and go and that's what's you know the cavern came and it went the hacienda came and it went and in many respects you can be you know it's like with the cavern for example in liverpool they knocked it down and then decided because of the tourism they had to rebuild it again so there's this almost like this fake cavern that exists which is a facsimile of the original up the street from where it was um you know the hacienda is now flats and stuff but in a sense it can be better that these places are gone because i remember the hacienda towards the end of its 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 time uh, you know, in the mid '90s and stuff, and it, it wasn't the same club as it was in the in the late '80s. It was the same building, uh, but everything had changed. Uh, it was different people, or even if it was the same people, they they didn't have the same mentality as they had before. So everything has a shelf life. Things come and go, and um, and if they close the clubs, people will find somewhere else to go and dance, whether it be in a warehouse or a field. You know, we've seen this before in the past. And these things will happen. So on that side, you know, I'm, I, I don't get concerned about that because, you know, it becomes what it is. You know, people will find a way. Yes, uh, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think that there's a bit too much doom mongery and... Uh, and obviously social media perpetuates that. And, and with social media, though, I mean... One of the real negatives of social media for me, and uh, you know, one of the big things that, that happened, I remember like when I really started using the internet, maybe just after the millennium, and there were some DJ forums online, some great DJ forums, um, and people would meet there, they'd discuss things, they'd talk about uh, what went before, information would be exchanged, they'd talk about what gigs they had on. It was a real forum, a proper forum for people. And bit by bit that all went to Facebook and the problem with that was it went to individual people's Facebook feeds where they were the gathering so it was almost like rather than being in uh, like the old style forums were like going out to a pub and meeting at a mm. pub on, on neutral ground now it was going to somebody's house and if you didn't agree with the person whose house it was 
them and all their mates very quickly kicked you out of the house. Yeah. So in the end, it just ends up with a load of people with the same opinions and, and nothing is, is being discussed. And also the worst thing about it is the people that houses seem to get the most full were the ones that were the most controversial because everyone was going, what's he going to say now? We better go over and see what, you know, is there going to be a kickoff between these? And, and, and it became a negative thing. Rather than people going somewhere for a positive to share information, to help each other, now people were going for a different reason, which was to see who was going to kick off, who's going to say what, you know. And, and, and it just becomes a spiral of negativity in that sense. But actually pro proving, you know, the, the earlier assertion that, that there is reaction to the shower of shit, your comeback was steeped in a reaction to what you believed was an inaccurate telling of history online. Am I right? I mean, it wasn't just online. It was just generally in, in, in articles, books, yeah. TV document, radio documentary. You know, that was... It, it, it wasn't so much um, that... I, I, th I think that when I look back on it, that I realised that um, at first it felt like a little bit of a whitewashing of, of history that, that, you know, all this great black culture that had gone on was just being completely ignored. But, you know, as time goes on, you kind of realise that maybe people didn't understand. They literally missed it. And a lot of people that were maybe writing about dance culture in from 88 onwards perhaps got into that having previously been into indie bands or mm. whatever or reading The Enemy or The Melody Maker and uh, not necessarily Blues and Soul or Black Echoes or the magazines that, that I was reading myself and for them it did seem like this brand new thing that was was happening and it was documented in that sense so so the narrative became that there was this Ibiza trip and out <laughs> of that came you know the house scene and, and you move that 10 years down the line and people younger people they thought that was the case and so you have the obscuring of a whole history that goes back you know well at least to the early 60s you can go back to the beatniks in, in the 50s and who listening to like uh, jazz modern jazz where mods come from and everything you can go back even to the second world war when the black gis were coming over and the whole jazz thing was going from there so there's this this really rich lineage of dance music and black music within uh, the uk that was swept under the carpet in many respects and, and I think that a lot of those books that were written the early books that, that in many respects are brilliant there's that big blind spot and it's it's because they just didn't know and if they did know if they did kind of uh, amidst the research stumble across that it opened up a whole it wasn't just a case of you can write a couple of pages and cover this these are chapters you know and that, and that was the whole thing so for, from my perspective that when I came on the internet and I saw that there were uh, sites that were dealing with history and I realised that, you know, even on a site like uh, there was a great electro site and there was so much knowledge on there, but even within that site there was loads missing because a lot of the people that were, you know, like were talking and, and have this knowledge on these sites were maybe uh, 11, 12, 13 in the early 80s you know when when this music was first being played in clubs when break dancers were first going on the street they picked up from it from there but they didn't know about that little period beforehand so you can't expect people to understand and it was at that point that I thought well I've got all my archive material that I've kept and it's all up in the loft in boxes time to sort through and I hadn't even started DJing at that point so it gave me the opportunity to 
revisit my own past and be able to document that in some sort of way uh, and, and bring that to the table and, and that's what I did. Yeah, I mean, I, I, can, I can remember, I think it was 2003 or 2004, a friend of mine saying to me, oh, Greg Wilson's going to be on at Basics. At that point, I think it was Basics. Yeah. At, at that point, I was going to, to Basics in Leeds quite a lot. And I was actually quite incredulous. I'm thinking, well, yeah, but I'm not into Electra. Why, why, why would I like this? Of course, I realised the folly of that opinion as the years yeah. went on, when I could see that what I, whatever I would listen to in the present day was merely an evolution of something from the past, and it became beautiful. But the, my question is, is that, you know, quite how were the crowds reacting? Like, because if I was incredulous about that and I would have considered myself a bit more with it than a lot of other people, what did they make of it, the first few gigs that you did? Well, I mean, it wasn't just electro. I was kind of playing some electro, playing funk, disco. So, I mean, it was it was bringing music from all kind of different areas of black music, from, from, from my past. And obviously what played into my hands and what enabled me to to come back into it without being missed and nostalgia was the whole re-edits movement, yeah. which was really taking shape at that point. It had been going on for the previous 10 years, going further back in with America and everything. But in terms of people having computers and being able to make digital re-edits of, of tracks, and uh, that was where it was really taking off. And I, I kind of stepped right into that. So that enabled me to... Um, utilize this music that had gone before but in a new way and that i think that was the trick that that's what made it happen had i gone back and just played the old records in the same way there was only a certain amount of shelf life in that so i was always kind of aware that it was a case of bringing in from different i didn't want to just go and play electro again i didn't want to get the old box of records that when i stopped at the end of 83 and play that same thing again um, but I wanted to kind of reference that as well as I wanted to reference funk and reference all the great boogie stuff, or as it later became known, we called it disco funk at the time. And, you know, the soul, uh, you know, all this indie stuff, you know, the stuff that when I wasn't a DJ that I really liked, that I was hearing in places like the Hacienda and, and stuff. So bring that history forward and, and try to say, look, you know, um, we have an incredible dance culture. It's global now and everything, but, you know, it, it comes from... From these roots and you can look at you know a lot of people were looking at the American roots which is great you know the disco culture that Tim Lawrence had done uh, Love Saves the Day and Last Night a DJ Saved My Life had been out in these and so there was a lot of great information about what had happened uh, in America but but people weren't realizing that there was a different lineage in the UK it wasn't that we followed what had happened in America although we picked up from the innovation of mixing uh, you know that eventually seeped into the UK culture but we have a culture that in many respects it, it well it goes further back than the US disco culture it goes back to people like Guy Stevens and Roger Eagle Guy Stevens was at the scene in London in the early 60s Roger Eagle was at the Twisted Wheel these guys were importing black music in they were like uh, how I see now the foundation of the type of DJ that I was and, and, and that's moved on from there so they're right at the roots of that and and this is early early 60s so um, you know we have a, like a really rich culture to learn from and uh, to, to gain from and that was what was being um, 
I mean, it was just lost. It, it, it was complete. I mean, in, the, in a similar way to the way that David Mancuso, in many respects, was lost until Tim Lawrence, an English guy, comes along, mm. goes to America, wants to write about his era of music, which is people like Masters at Work and all that New York side of things, and starts doing the interviews. And then hears that name, David Mancuso, one too many times. And as a you know brilliant journalist and writer, he he goes, who is this guy? I might want to find out more, and unearths the story. And now, you know who David, who we lost last year, you know his place, you know within the hierarchy of of dance culture is assured. He's right there, and we know who he is, and we know what he represents. But we we might not have, you know, or you know maybe. The truth will out at some point, but it might not have outed for mm. for quite a time. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, I'm interested to know your view that now you know we're 14 years on from the comeback, and the information is very much out there. As you say, Tim Lawrence and David Mancuso, that is a great example. Pretty much anything you write on your blog is is you know telling you know accurate tales of the past. So it's actually out there, but, you know, how many people are actually paying attention to it? But that's it. I think that's the same in, in, in life in general. You know, the attention span of, of people is, is, is very small now. You know, that you see people doing really good work, uh, maybe putting something up online. I, I saw somebody only this week put a mix up online and they put their heart and soul in it, you could tell, and you know, and it was, I had to listen, and it was really good what they were doing, but you know, it was like tumbleweed, no one was listening, and I really felt for them, you know, and and, and it's like that, we're, we're on overload now, there's so much out there that people to, to actually engage, that's the trick, to get someone to engage in what you're doing, and when I say that, it's like this listening and this listening, you know, you can, you know, you can hear things, something can be playing in the background now as we're talking and we can say yeah I heard that but to engage with it to actually give yourself to that and to go beneath the surface and I think that's something that people don't do as much as I'd certainly like them to, to do mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is surface you know a lot of it is almost kind of musical tourism ticking a thing off a list and, and not living with it and, and letting it seep almost through their bones. Mm. So even though, even though we both agree, and it's pretty obvious to say that against you know a, a political backdrop that people disagree with and at times of unrest, people may feel compelled to create and they may feel compelled to react, but... The execution phase is arguably more worrying about about the these days where someone could create something but but no one would hear it. I mean, where where can you see the art form of DJ and club culture and the production of the music in ten or fifteen years? Well, if you take it, if you go to just the art, talk about an artist, and if an artist is doing the work they're not necessarily doing that work for an audience. They're doing that work because they're compelled to do it within themselves. They need to do that. And as we know from history, 
a lot of artists are never known during their life. They don't, you know, Van Gogh is a perfect example, you know, and there's many, many examples of people that they had to wait till they were gone before mm. they were recognised. So maybe that's something to do with art. And if you if you then take it down to music, for example, um, I, I, I'm sure that if you look at the last 10 years, there could almost be like in another 10, 20 years, a type of Northern Soul scenario where a lot of these records that were pressed up, maybe only 500 done or somebody put something on sound. You know, all these these things that have been done in these last 10 years that maybe at a later point, you know, people will look at um, a little more, more discerningly and see what happened and what people were actually doing back then. I, th I just think with the sheer volume of things now that's going, it's like when I started a record label, you know, it's like I started a record label, big deal, I've started a record label. And I was looking at that in the old sense of starting a record label. And so, but I'd say I started, and then another DJ would say, yeah, I've just started a record label. And another, I've started a record, I've started. And what, it's not really, what they've done is made a record <laughs> and called it a label. And, that, and, and so it wasn't like that they, they were trying to kind of a vision and different releases and bringing in artists and so on and so forth. So it, it's, it's very hard to get through that forest of, of, of stuff so that people say, oh, right, I can see what you're trying to do here. And, you know, you just got to get on with it and, and you do things for your own compulsions. And, you know, that's what, you know, there's a certain madness in it as well, because if you did it based on um, reasons of old, you know, you, you wouldn't be getting past first base. You know, it's very difficult for anybody to, you know, starting a record label now, you're not thinking about it in a business sense like you would have done maybe 20, 30 years ago. Oh, damn right. You're thinking how much... It's, a, it's an expensive hobby. <laughs> right, yeah. and, and the only reason I can do it is because I do well f out of my DJing. So it, it affords me the luxury of being able to do that. Um, but for somebody, you know, trying to do it kind of genuinely to change things, and it's a very, very difficult approach, you know, because um, there isn't that infrastructure. People aren't buying records. So... You know, you can put all this effort and work and it can be demoralizing. But if you're doing it for the right reasons, yeah, it's great if people love what you're doing and you get a pat on the back and everything. But ultimately, you know, that there's, um, there's something more important. It's that that's human necessity to create and yeah. express and say, look at what I've done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. This is what we are. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad of that message um, because it's very easy to forget that that art will always be art in that sense that that there is the the self-expression element to it. And so, while it's perhaps no consolation to people who've had their local nightclub shut down by you know for whatever reason, as a whole, I completely agree that 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 the art form is safe. It may take different guises, but I still see innovation in amongst this. And what you say about the potential for discovery, well, the internet, of course, yeah. is, is, you know, if you think that architectural digs can, can still prompt someone like Tony Robinson to do hour-long programs on Sunday nights, well, just imagine what it's going to be like in 40 years. Some old website that hasn't been tended to for however long or some old files on a server. 
I think it could be great. I think there's immense potential. Yeah, people will be excavating all this stuff <laughs> and finding nuggets, yeah. you know, that, that are being missed now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I, because yeah. everybody's too busy watching cat videos online. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I guess that is the other side of, of like a constant of humanity that. We're always going to amuse ourselves with utter rubbish as well, at the very same time as the creativity. And the creativity could and just. Sometimes get it can work away. together, you know. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely true. I mean, if we move to what you're, what you're doing now, um, the, the thing you're doing, you've just done with Alan Moore, the, the super weird substance, uh, you know, the, the, the latest mixtape. Am I right in saying that super weird substance is, in fact, a quote from Alan Moore. It was. It was. Uh, he did a thing in the early two thousands, uh, like a document interview documentary called "The Mindscape of Alan Moore," where he mentioned in the in like as a quantum physics term, uh, information is is called a super weird substance. You know, it's it and and that stuck with us. You know, the idea of information. Of course, you know, this is we're in the world of information. We took that. Um, we took that on board with the label and we also took another thing from that same uh, documentary he talked about the idea of a fool's leap and you know like doing something without the fear of failure or without the desire of reward and that's the most pure mm. approach that you can take and so and that's very difficult to do you know i mean i think the hardest thing of that is the fear of failure because once you've done something you do you know you, you, your ego you want pe people to engage and like what you're doing and everything and and so if you and a lot of people stop doing anything for fear of failure there's a lot of people that you know they will never do a creative act even though they might be very creative individuals because they're just so scared of rejection and so it's better to I heard Alan Moore actually say this it's better to keep hold of the dream internally than to let it out there and for it to fail for them that's how they feel so that fool's leap idea came you know very strongly from that as well and um, and so we did that we started um, super weird substance off the back of that before that Howard Howard Marks was was still alive and he um, recited one of Kermit's poems Lies and Other Fools, which was about Kermit's, Kermit's heroin addiction. You know, quite a dark, dark tale, but we saw it as a cathartic thing to do in a way to, for Kermit to step on into the future from, from, from his past. And, um, and we put it out as a one-sided seven-inch single on a Fool's Leap label, knowing that, you know, we're not going to sell, you know, we're doing this purely as a symbolic gesture. We launched it on Record Store Day, so it was like almost like an offering to the vinyl gods, you know, and this is the start of our journey. And so it, it's bizarre on a personal level that here we are three years down the line, and now I'm you know, actually collaborating with Alan Moore and have met Alan on a few occasions. And um, I mean, because with, with Alan Moore, what it was for me, I mean, I, I'm not a comics person. So someone like Kermit, who's- He been, tried to get you into it yeah, back all, in the day. Through time. Yeah. I mean, Kermit was reading his stuff since 2000 AD, you know, in, in the <laughs> early eighties. And when yeah. he got to, <clears throat> got to Watchmen, that was around the time when we were recording um, uh, rap assassins and he was he had the original comics he's actually given me a full set you know since but he was passing them to yeah look at this and and he did this with a few things but watchman was the one that really really stuck with me but I, at the time i just you know 
comics was something I did when I was a bit younger and I'm reading books. You know, it was a bit like that. You know, I knew it was good stuff, but I had other stuff to do. And so I never engaged at that point. And it was only more recently where that engagement point happened. And what what it was about Alan Moore's work was that it made more sense of the world in which I lived than anything that I was reading or coming across. So things like Watchmen, V for Vendetta, you know, Promethea, you know, these kind of things. They, they had a world view that chimed more for me than anything else around me. And, and, and even more so with what's happening in the intervening period. So, you know, to, to, to meet him and to, um, and his generosity of spirit, you know, he's a very, very generous person with his, his wisdom, basically. Um, and, and so, you know, we went to Northampton, to, they, they launched an, an arts lab, which kind of, he, the original Northampton's arts lab, I think it was late 60s, early 70s that Alan was involved with and they relaunched it and they did their first event, which just so happened to be the day after the Brexit vote, um, which was amazing because everyone was walking around like zombies like what has gone on and so you know stars were relining <laughs> so on this day you know his contribution to the arts lab was that he came on full makeup as a, as a mandrill and did his mandrilla festo um which Kermit, you know, he, he recorded uh, on his phone on the night and he was just buzzing off it and being cheeky guy as he went to Alan, you know, can we do something with this? And Alan, yeah, yeah, if you want to. And, you know, so Kermit said, we were going to do this. And it's like, wow, you know, this is Alan's words and, and what words as well. And so what are we going to do with it? And originally it was kind of seen, I suppose, in a more linear sense, but... It had changes within, when you looked at the words written down, there were changes within that. So initially I thought, well, maybe we can do it around three tracks, a little bit like, <clears throat> a little bit like a mixtape. And so um, my first kind of thought was, there was a track in the 70s by a band called Mandrill called Funky Monkey. And I thought, I wonder if I could cut that up as a back end. So I started and it sounded great. And then I thought, I thought other monkey tracks, and all of a sudden, I started cutting up all these monkey matches. <laughs> oh man, when that dropped in, yes. So, so this, and, and then we brought in, you know, like the Reynolds and Kermit, and all of a sudden, from because uh, Alan's own version um, with Joe Brown is 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 much more kind of uh, rap style, more like Sleepwood Mods kind of yeah. uh, approach to it quite full on in your face and everything. Um, whereas what where we came from was this really fun, colourful place, but it's the same words. And, and Kermit and the girls, the way that they managed to take those words and put them to all these different tracks and make sense of, of the whole thing. So it all came together on that level. And, and that's we recorded that and we went to see him uh, and went to his house and to play it to him. And it was beautiful because it was like playing as kids because there was a real glee when he'd heard what we'd done. He, he hadn't expected us to do this. And, and, and there was this fantastic... And, and then we came up with the idea, would you DJ on it? Would you be the presenter on top of that? And, yeah. and, uh, and would you name the tracks? You know, these kind of things. And so he, he was up for that. And then he threw that back at us. And all of a sudden... And, and not only did he do it, he did it like, uh, you know... 
proper professional presenter. Just like brilliant. But, you know, the, but that... the, the, the droniness of it made it genius. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, when we went with it, we went with three examples. We said, you know, it could be like, you know, Emperor Roscoe, Wolfman Jack was, you know, and the other one was Kay Billy from, from Pulp Fiction. So, you know, they were like the examples that we were talking about, like for this. And he just nailed it and, and it came back. And he was also then, he, he, he'd come up with a station name, you know, K-O-N-G, you know. <laughs> And which then we took that and then we decided we'd do a load of KONG jingles. <laughs> In times of mission of the mass, harass you apes like me. When I let the scary eyes be cold, manifest destiny. I'll really be to a fluorescent utopia. If you let me, let me, what you should forbid me, never pet me. Yeah, settle back in your mosquito net now and soak up the psychedelic savagery of the mandrel on Radio K.O.N. Evolved and and it was the most fun thing that I've done in years, possibly ever. You know, I just had a ball uh, working on that. It was it was great. You know, it was it was almost like once we'd finished it and put it online and everything, it's been great. The feedback's been fantastic, but there's almost like a postnatal depression almost. <laughs> of, you know, like the baby's out there. I mean, what can you do now? You know, because it was just such a joy yeah. to be involved and to do that, and for him to approve of what you're doing when you know you look up to him so much um you know and, and his his width of of knowledge and and cultural grasp you know whereas 
you know, I, I understand about kind of popular culture to a level, but this man kind of will go back into the Stone Age and understand yeah. that culture, you know. So this is what we're dealing with there. And um, so, so yeah, that's been a, a remarkable thing from our side that, um, you know, that, that we've been we've been pulled into his, his uh, orbit in a sense. I, I kind of f- figure that he's something to do. He's pulled all these people like John Higgs and Daisy Eris Campbell, Cosmic Trigger, and all these people have been pulled into his orbit. And now out of that is, is a lot of creativity because John Higgs is the, the he's the, the kind of conduit for all this, you know, like mm. wh- when I read his book, uh, The KLF Chaos Magic, um, that blew me away because that almost like kind of set a modern mythology in, in, in a sense, you know, the ideas that were coming out of that and also the connection with Liverpool because that's my home city. And it was because of John that we met Alan and it was because of Howard that we met John in a really, you know, roundabout way because when Howard got ill and we'd already booked five happenings and he was going to be, you know, he was going to be on all those happenings, uh, our special guest. And... He, he got cancer um, we had to find replacements for all these and for the Liverpool one I thought oh the guy who wrote the KLF book and I just tweeted there's the internet for you and John's back and said yeah I'm up for it and and it's as a result of that that you know we eventually do a, a Mandrilla Festo mixtape you know with Alan Moore yeah amazing I mean the these uh, the the concept that that J- John Higgs comes out with which you've discussed of uh, the omphalos where you know your your equivalent your keystone your creative keystone was was the beatles you know that was yep. something you looked at alan moore talks about that we're now in the in an era of steam that everything's so disparate yep, was turning to steam are there actually these things for creatives to hang on to now and be inspired by or is it too disparate well i think you know you build your own now and, and it's very interesting what john was saying he did an article recently and he was talking about the Discordian Operation Mindfuck, which went back where that's that's where Robert Anton Wilson kind of started getting these letters and and stuff and these crazy conspiracy theories and and everything that was going on. And it was just kind of he was working for Playboy at the time and doing the letters columns and 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 all that weirdness kind of ended up as the Illuminati. And now now kids kind of tell you that this is the truth. This actually happened. And, and that just, David Icke uh, is, is now revealed. Yeah. So all this stuff kind of stems out of that but John was talking about um, now you know in that kind of some Discordian thought talks about Operation Mind Fix that now it's it's Operation Mindful is the world we live in. It's actually become what we are, you know. And and I was talking with Jane Casey, who was um, in Big in Japan with Bill Drummond, and she also worked later with Cream and everything. And she said, "Well, we understand what's going on now because we all read the Illuminatus, you know." She <laughs> so she sees it as all kind of, you know, that 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 that's how how the world has become now. This big mass ball of chaos so perhaps it's a time for gathering together in in units of people for coming together and and the unfallus then becomes i suppose within those individual units that, that becomes your central guiding point and and you know so we're almost going back to that it's, it's about connecting reconnecting again with people you can do only do so much on the internet as you know it and 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 there's so much to, to kind of negotiate yeah. in terms of the way it works but this 
actually physically coming together with people and this has been happening naturally and this is what we're doing with the happening in, in uh, Liverpool on April the 1st. Um, that is an event that runs off the back of uh, Festival 23 last year in Sheffield, Alan Moore doing the Northampton Arts Lab and, uh, you know, events in Brighton. So there's, there's these different things that have been going on and mushrooming up and different connections between people. So that's on all, I mean, these will be happening all over the place with different groups of people. And it, it's a little bit similar to... Um, you know, I kind of see it in, in lines of like the 60s counterculture. Um, you know, there, there was a famous uh, poetry reading at the Albert Hall, which Allen Ginsberg was at in, in 65, where it very spontaneously happened. And I think it holds something like 8,000, the Albert Hall. Um, and and through, through this rich American woman, they booked the Albert Hall and to get Ginsberg and a few other poets on not knowing what was going to happen, and 8,000 turned up, and, and that was the moment where a lot of these people realised that they had a counterculture, it actually existed. They thought that they were a pocket of people, and but there were a lot of pockets. And I think we're at the stage now where there's lots of pockets of people all over the place. They haven't kind of connected properly yet, um, and eventually that will, will, will take place, because mm. we're in a kind of state of uh, limbo, just generally, you know, the media is, you know, the, there's a new media emerging. We don't quite know what it is. That the, 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 the book that you were talking about, where the Omphilus comes from, is in John's book, Stranger Than We Can Imagine, which he looks at the 20th century. And I think that's interesting because if you go back 100 years, and he starts that book by saying that, you know, at the end of uh, the 19th century, it was still kings and sars and emperors. It was still what we'd had for hundreds of years. Uh, thousands of years in certain instances, people knew their place in society. They knew where they were. Within 20, 30 years, that had all fallen apart. The First World War had happened. Nobody trusted Kaisers and Kings mm. anymore. And, and it was all breaking down. And, and it was moving into a new century. It was a very new environment to what it had been 20 yeah. years before. That. And now we're at a place in another new century that we're starting to realise 17 years in it's a very different place to where we were 17 years ago. Everybody thought 2000, the future is going to be great, isn't it going to be wonderful? And it didn't quite happen. Even like from a clubbing side, it all fell flat. Yes. That, that tooth, they thought the, all the great DJs the got greedy yeah. And, yeah. And, and it all fell flat at that point. And now we're starting to realise we're entering a different world and we're quite not quite sure what that world is and it's a bit alarming and scary and there's a lot of weird people involved mm. in it. But this is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, connectivity is a big thing for you um, in, in terms of the way you create and the way that you speak about creative cultures. In fact, I think one of the first conversations I ever had with you was uh, you were telling me about... Um, Echo and the Bunny Men in Reykjavik with a manhole cover, <laughs> where it sounds like the best game of Cluedo ever. Are you of the belief that actually, that now, that we could actually have the best era for connectivity that, that there's ever been? And that the kind of things that you've, that you've got out of these these kinds of connectivities could be replicated million times over. I see, what we're missing now is that, uh, 
Right, if you go back to the 60s, for example, and you're a young person into music in the 60s, there's only a very limited amount of places where you can get your information. You can, if it's 1967, Radio 1's just started, but before that, there were a couple of music programmes on the BBC in the week, only a couple, where they played your type of music. There was Radio Luxembourg, which broadcast at night that people would listen to the bed. If you were close enough to a pirate station, you could get it that way. There was Ready, Steady, Go, maybe on the TV. There was Top of the Pops. But that's pretty much it. But everyone went to those places. Everybody. So, you know, anyone who had a similar mindset to you would tune into those same things. Whereas now, it's all over the place. So there might be a dozen people here. There might be 50 people there. There might be 10 here on this site, that site, looking at this medium, not knowing that that one exists. And it's so diluted that it's difficult. And this is where this idea of the new medium emerges it's it's a bit like um again you know the back end of the 70s you know like that post-punk well out of the punk era that the whole indie thing came whereas like people who had detached from the traditional pop charts for example that they, they wouldn't want to follow that it seemed to have diluted again to them they made their own indie chart and all of a sudden they had a focus and if you're into black music like myself you could look at blues and soul and what they you know so you have places you could do a specialist radio shows that you could go to if you didn't know about them you might not even find them i mean if we call something black music now it's an almost pointless tag because it's not rare it's not new it's just good in some ways it's like the the kind of progress from those times it's like you know you'll hear people say oh they don't make you know like soul like they used to and it's like of course they don't make soul like they used to because (laughs) they made it that way because it was the civil rights period and people you know that it's it's a progression in in a sense you know that the but you know it's it's still not a perfect world of course but it's certainly in those respects has, has moved forward from where it was at that point in time you know and that and i learned a lot about that from within the lyrics and then later you know by listening to people like richard pryor i learned a lot about black culture listening to richard pryor um and just realized you know but i i, I knew enough as a kid when i heard the racism going on around me and you did hear it to think how can they say that because they were trying to make out that these people were lesser when they make this music how could how you know <laughs> it, for me it was the proof was in the pudding you know like and so um i I think it's an individual thing and uh you know i mean that is an era um you know that that we're a long way on you know we've we have like a a culture of black music hip-hop you know being you know the, the most lucrative music form of the late 20th century and you know it's a massive business you look mm. at some of the artists now and and where it's come to with it so yeah you know that it's a different world that we're in and so i mean there's there's a sorry to interrupt that i mean that i mean i've read one or two you know people that are a bit older than me saying oh Britpop, that's going to be the that's that will be the last ever big music cultural movement that that would sweep across the country because everything's so disparate now I mean, do you agree with that? Not necessarily, because I think that it's a time when you say nothing new can happen, that something new generally comes would along. It, but would it have the same take-up? But that's the, uh, that's it. the great thing of music, though, is it affects people in a different way to anything else. It's, it's such a 
um, that's why you know kind of music of the past um, it, it, it evokes something even if you weren't there even if you weren't born um, that's why people will still listen to Bach and Beethoven and Mozart because it does something to them. It's all about vibrations when it boils down to it, I suppose, you know, so how it affects the human spirit and the human condition. So, it, you know, for, you, you don't know something, often it's technology driven. I, I would say, you see, I wouldn't say, I think Britpop was just basically a mannerist way. It was it was like taking from the past and doing it. You know, it was it's very much drawing. If you look at what Oasis were doing, they were very much drawing from, from the Beatles and a bit of Sex Pistols in Liam's voice and stuff and, and, and things. But you, you knew where the references were and everything. So, so it, but if you go back before that, the, the kind of last music that, you know, uh, was really changing music was kind of the electro period and on into house and techno that electronic and that was technology driven that, mm. that now we have like samplers and drum machines and sequences and synths and all these kind of things that, that people are making music with and, and that drove that that onwards um, you know and, and continuations of that uh, you know go on now and there's, there's a lot of good music being done I'm not one of these people who say oh it's all been done I, there's some fantastic you know records made but often we don't hear about the or we don't get to these groups because you know there's the, the so much wood for the trees type thing mm. so um, so you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, rule out that all of a sudden something came along that really captivated younger people. I mean, you know, we're now, we're, you know, well, I certainly am, you know, is older generation. It's not about us, really. The important people are the younger people, yeah. their energy, what they do with it. This is why, like, you know, I think the role that I see myself playing as a DJ uh, and also, you know, in my writing and everything, and, and it was put to me by somebody I met in San Francisco uh, ones who, who had connections with Hay Ashbury and everything and, and, and um, that, that kind of hippie culture and they kind of said to me you know you, you, what you are is a bridge builder and I got that I thought ah right it's been building that bridge between now and the past so people can go and explore and find out what they like and take from it what they like I'm not one of these purists yeah. or leave it alone it's you know it, it's sacrilege well, think of the battles you had in the early 80s with, with when Electro yeah. came out when white people were telling you what they thought well, black music should be it's, absolutely yeah. So it's really, really down to, you know, there's a history and there's a really rich cultural history uh, in the, in this country, in America, in the Western world, you know, uh, that, that happened throughout, um, you know, the 50s, 60s onward. Uh, that, and before that, you know, we're talking about the jazz era and going back and everything. So, you know, it's, it's take from that and it's yours. It, that, that's their heritage to do with as they feel fits and that's how I see it but to, to understand that they've got to know it's there they've mm. got to see it they've got to uh, engage with that and understand wow that happened and this happened what can I do with that how would I approach this you know and and I think that that's what it does it serves as as, as a, an example for what is possible you know what, mm. what the human artistic spirit is possible mm. I mean I mean I my, my opinion on on the the Britpop point is that I think that it's partly right in the sense that there that there probably won't be something that's within the confines of a country 
I think that there will be some revolutionary musical movements in the future, you know, in the next few years, but it will transcend borders. Well, that, that's it. You, you're right, you know, because it is, it's a global um, situation now. It's like somebody puts something up on SoundCloud that's new and, they might, you know, they might be in, you know, in, in Sweden and, and someone in Japan likes that and does their own take on it and somebody in New Zealand continues from there and, that, and that's great and that, that's how it should work that's what we've lost we've lost these regionalized scenes we can't have like a sheffield where cabaret voltaire and the human yeah League we've lost the tinderbox yeah we can't have that because it can't uh, stay in isolation for long enough i mean for me that's why hip-hop was the biggest music form of late 20th centuries because it had almost like a decade you know, to ferment in the South Bronx before it yeah. broke onto the world stage. You know, it, it it knew what it was. So by the time the money people had recognised that, the people involved with that scene, that, that term that they used to have, keeping it real, no one was going to tell them how to do their music. Mm. They were going to do it on their own terms. Yeah. And they were right to do that because that was the terms in which it worked. Um but they'd had all that time to, 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 to think about, to work it out, to cultivate it. You wouldn't have that now. And, and I used to see that like, um, you know, in like you'd see, for example, in the dance magazines going back about 10, 15 years, um, the mix mag and DJ and stuff, that, that they'd um, a new a new kind of strain of dance music had come along or somebody would do something. And it was immediately almost like on the front page. It was the next big thing. And he hadn't had even time to think about what it was. So it, they were cutting it off at source. You know, it was like, it wasn't, it was like a baby not being able to grow up into something because all of a sudden these like kids who were doing this were thrust into the line, like were put on tours all over the place. And then the next thing they're looking for the next one and the next one and the next one. And that's media for you. It's always looking for the next thing. It wants a quick turnover of, um, and, and that doesn't work for, you know, the development of, of creativity. It kind of it, it stifles it, if anything. Mm -hmm. But it will still go on. I mean, I, I personally think that, that artificial intelligence might be this next technological <laughs> driver that, that you talk about. You know, that might well be the equivalent of the 808. And, but that's a whole other discussion. And you can bet your life we had that discussion and many, many more off mic. No topic too big or too small with Greg Wilson. I certainly enjoyed the chat that we had uh, and I hope you did too. Uh, so this is the end folks, I'll leave you with one of Greg and Kermit's tracks from the first Super Weird mixtape. Ties in nicely with our conversation I think. This is called Strange World. Thank you all for listening. Adios!
Yeah, nigga.